0: Hi, this is Eva Anderson. I'm at the immersive kickoff party at the Hollywood Fringe and you're listening to No
1: Persinium, the voice of everything immersive.
2: Nice.
0: Hey gang, welcome to episode 101 of the No Priscinium podcast, your guide to everything immersive. I'm Noah Nelson, coming to you from No Pro headquarters in Los Angeles. This week on the show, our guest is contemporary artist Simon Birch, the creator of the 14th Factory, which has been turning heads and filling up Instagram feeds here in Los Angeles. But before we get into that, a word from our sponsor. And our sponsor is you. Yes, you. Well, people like you, unless it is you, one of our glorious, wonderful, beautiful, smart, clever, wise Patreon backers. The Patreon for No Persinium, which you can find at patreon.com slash no persinium, fuels Everything we do here. We're talking about the newsletters, which you can sign up for. We're talking about NoPersinium.com, the newly relaunched NoPersinium.com, where we gather up the news and information and reviews. It pays some of the bills for our reviewing. It keeps this podcast headed to your ears. Every little dollar that gets pledged gets used. Oh, does it get used? And we do need your support. So if you're a regular listener to the podcast, if you get the newsletter and you use it, if we help you discover brand new things you might otherwise not find out about, listen to your heart and you know what to do. Patreon.com slash no Our latest... Backer is Lee Darik. Lee, if I messed up your name, you get a freebie and I'll say it again on the air. Just write me and I will make it right because that's the kind of person I am. All right, there we go. That's the Patreon backer part. Now, once upon a time, this was the part of the show where I read off all the incoming news of the week. That's over, done, finished. Not gonna happen. If you want to catch up with the latest news, head over to the all-new NoPersinium.com. That's where you can find our brand new Newswire, which is full of show announcements. There's also our local page, which is organized into the different regions that we cover. You can find the news there. You can find reviews of shows there. There's no more waiting. Just follow NoPersinium for the latest immersive news. We're on Twitter. We're on Facebook. And you know what? If you miss the part where I talk about everything, you're in luck. Because starting today, we've got a brand new column called Everything Immersive This Week. We named it after our Facebook group, Everything Immersive. And it's right there on the newswire to get a digest of the stories we're most excited about. So... That's There's some Star Trek uh, bridge crew VR that happened on Kotaku. That's on there. There's a review of Ready from Room Escape Artist. That's on there. And there's all sorts of other things. It's all there at nopersinium.com. So what are we going to do now that I'm not reading the news? We're going to check in around the country and the world to find out what's going on. Joining us now is Ricky Briganti, the editor of Inside the Magic, to tell us about the latest from Theme Park World. Hey, Ricky, how's it going?
1: Hey, Noah, great to be here. I've been a fan of No Priscilium for a while, so it's great to be be joining you.
0: Well, it's an incredible honor to have you on the show coming to us from, you're in in Orlando, right? I'm not imagining, good. (laughs) (laughs) No,
1: Yeah, out here in uh, sunny Orlando, Florida. Oh, you're lucky it's sunny. It's uh, cloudy today
0: when I'm talking to you here in LA. Um, this this is the big season for theme parks, and I know your people have been checking out all the new stuff that's opening left and right. There's Volcano Bay, you know, which is the new parking universal, and there's uh, the, the new Guardians version of Tower of Terror at the Guardians Breakout at California Adventure, but I wanted to talk to you about something you've been tracking for a long time and that's pandora the world of avatar which just finally opened up so tell tell the listeners about this
1: yeah uh, it's a project you know five and a half years in the making um i i remember you know five and a half years ago when they when they surprised announced it on the world and everyone went wait disney's Doing what with Avatar? <laughs> and I mean, the movie's what eight, nine years old. So it was, it was a surprise then. It's even more of a surprise now. And yet, y- you walk into this place. It's at uh, Disney's Animal Kingdom, the theme park out here at Walt Disney World, and uh, it's you know, it, it took over a former area of the park and expanded upon that. It's a whole land that uh, you know, for lack of a better word, is incredibly immersive. Uh, it's it's pretty stunning, actually.
0: What? is it that people are responding the most to? Because there, there are rides, but it seems like it, it's it's something more than that.
1: Definitely. Well, uh, you know, I got to talk to a lot of the, uh, the, the creators, the, the Imagineers, the brilliant minds and designers behind this. And what was really interesting that stuck out to me, and it's very clear as you walk through here, and it's exactly what people are connecting to. Um is that they designed Pandora, this this you know, sort of alien world that fits in with our you know earth plants and mountains and all that kind of stuff. Um, they designed this not with just visuals and thrills in mind, but rather with emotion, with feelings. They wanted you to feel a certain way as you walked in, as you saw the big floating mountains overhead for the very first time as you, you know, approached the large cascading waterfalls, and yes, as you went on the rides and saw the very impressive uh, visuals that are there, it was less about that and more, more about that feeling that you're getting, and it's really touching people um, in sort of a. a a way that's difficult to describe you know it's it's almost like a you know walking to a national park a national landmark of you know a world treasure and and you just you, you there's this overall sense of like awe and and, and zen as you walk through there
0: it, it can seem so strange because we're so distant from the avatar franchise Indeed. both it being in the past and its potential in the future um and yet and yet, is it is it really drawing people in? Is it getting people excited? What's were, Was it just hardcore Avatar fans if such <laughs> things still exist there on at the opening? Or is this doing something else entirely? I,
1: yeah, I'm not sure there are hard, hardcore Avatar fans anywhere. Oh, oh,
0: I don't know. I think there's a few left.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not
0: saying I'm one of them. I'm not. I'm just right. saying that I think there's a few holdouts out okay.
1: there. Well, I'm sure they exist somewhere, but I have not seen uh, them. Uh, I've definitely seen people, though, after having gone through a Pan- uh, pandemic, Now want to go back and watch the movie. I have only seen it once years ago when it came out and I'm interested in going back Especially with the you know eventual sequels that may or may not come out but uh, what This is appealing to so far. I mean it's only been open for a weekend. It opened to the public this past Saturday and it's been drawing huge crowds um, and it's appealing to the theme park crowd certainly who are interested in that immersive feel, that fantasy, that you know, escape from reality that, uh, that Disney does so well. The ability to transport you somewhere else and have zero uh, you know, sight lines, zero uh, sort of anything around you that would get you to feel like the rest of the world is still there. You are in this place. Um, I think the average guest will be excited about it for a lot of the same reasons, but you know even if they don't necessarily understand why they're feeling a certain way it it'll be interesting as it plays out to see how people will connect with this, especially given the you know largely lack of a connection to the avatar film
0: when we when we look at this piece uh you know it's it's not happening in a vacuum there's someone was describing to me like the Fallon ride the other day, which has a very elaborate queuing system that, that the way they're describing it to me, it almost sounds like a, an immersive theater piece in of itself. I I think I want to talk to you about that some other day. And we look at the plans that are in motion for star Wars land. And and we can look at what's been going on with the, the Harry Potter franchise uh, over at universal. Um, What, where do you think, you know, this new piece, you know, points us towards in terms of where theme parks are going, particularly um, through the lens of, you know, all things immersive.
1: Yeah, it, it's, it's pretty clear that um, when Universal, uh, did, you know, created the first Wizarding World of Harry Potter out here in Florida, um, they really raised the bar beyond just a notch or two, like usually happens every summer. This was kind of a, a major leap beyond what it normally is. Um, it's it's started a trend in which pretty much everything that Disney Universal or any of the theme parks are creating, they're trying to create these environments it, it, more than just an attraction. You know, it used to be like, oh, here we're gonna we're just gonna build a ride. We're gonna go stick this ride in a corner, and you you know you wait in line, you're kind of sort of entertained in the line, and then you get on the ride, and it's fun for two, three, four minutes, and you're done. Now it's about being there it's about oh it's not the ride's kind of like an afterthought because the queue is amazing i mean the flight of passage ride which is the banshee sort of 3d motion simulator ride the ride itself is great but the queue blew me away like i want to hang out in the queue for like three or four hours uh not waiting in line just walking around and looking at everything um because they are creating these these worlds that feel authentic they feel real they feel completely believable there is no tiny little detail that you can like look really close in a corner and be like oh yeah i'm at a theme park no there's everything about it is is being true to the story that they're trying to tell Um, and and that's definitely where the theme park world is headed
0: I sort of love that the apotheosis of the theme park world is the cue that you never want to leave. <laughs> uh, Ricky, where can we find uh, all of the stuff that you you write and, and shoot video for?
1: Yeah, uh, well, we certainly covered the heck out of Pandora and a whole lot of other theme park fun. Uh, it's all over at insidethemagic.net.
0: All right. Ricky, thank you so much for uh, popping in on the show this time. And I know we'll inevitably have you back on soon.
1: I hope so. Great to talk to you. Thank you.
0: Got to thank Ricky for being our inaugural segment A guest. Segment B guest? I don't know. Uh, There's a clock to this thing. I'm still trying to figure it out. Uh, The show, it keeps on changing. It's just going to morph right in front of your eyes, just like a uh, Paramount Pictures production. Uh, You know what I mean? Hey, uh, are you fiending? Do do you want more? Do do you need more immersive all the time? Check out everythingimmersive.com which just resolves to the Facebook group we have uh, called Everything Immersive. By the time you're listening to this, there might be a thousand people in there. Um, And if you can hear the smile in my voice, uh, the smile is on my face. I never thought it would just grow like that. And here we are, nearly a thousand people. And if uh, you know people in Everything Immersive who don't listen to the show, tell them to listen to the show. You just might wind up on the show. We've got a few things planned out. Now, let's set up the big part of today, and that's the interview with Simon Birch. The 14th Factory is this contemporary art, well, museums and gallery are, are both the wrong words here. It is it is a reimagining, if you will, of what a museum could be uh, if a museum was intentionally designed from the ground up by a bunch of just insane brilliant contemporary artists who wanted to get dirt under their fingernails and deconstruct the experience and then reconstruct it into an actual thought through experience and do it all themselves from the ground up. Simon Birch has been leading this quest for quite some time. We're going to get into the history of it. The 14th factory popped up in LA, just east of the river uh, northeast of downtown, and it created such a stir, such a commotion because of the stunning nature of the visuals set within. Uh, recently, there was a pop-up experience one day called 14th Factory Interrupted. Annie Saunders of the Wilderness was one of the people who was brought in to perform. It was absolutely lovely and ephemeral. It was here one minute, it was gone the next, Simon and I talked in his office for um, a, about a half hour. Here, you're gonna get all of that, and when we come back on the other side, you're gonna get the closing segment, which is what but um, the opening segment used to be. Why? Because uh, I feel it's that's the way the show should be now. But here we go, Simon Birch, the Fourteenth Factory, coming up now. What is this? Simon, thanks for taking the time from your sleepless days to, <laughs> uh, to talk with me Indeed. about this. Um, for, those of, for those who might be outside of Los Angeles and haven't heard the buzz about the 14th Factory yet, and maybe you're going to be popping in town for the next couple months, uh, what's the elevator pitch on, on this here? What, what's
2: the, how, would, how should people be thinking about it? Um, simplest, it's, it's kind of like a pop-up art museum because it's museum scale. So if you've been to the MoMA, you know, which is sort of a hundred and twenty thousand square foot, multi-million dollar, beautiful building, stuffed full of extremely expensive art. Well, we're a hundred and fifty thousand square foot, crumbling old antique warehouse that's a hundred years old. That's a three-acre site that we've stuffed full of art. That, of course, we think it's very valuable too. And value is relative. So, but yes, in the simplest form, it's a it's a. 150,000 square foot, museum scale, multiple media art installation. So that means it's film and sculptures, installations, performances, paintings, all kinds of things. And uh, organized in procession, one piece after another. So it kind of tells a story and you journey. Once you leave Los Angeles and enter through the front door, you fall down the rabbit hole into this sort of contemporary art wonderland. Um but for all its spectacle and drama and um, scale I mean it's huge it's it's discussing some very serious um, issues and um, it's a pretty heavy show intellectually yeah uh, but on the surface it's it's kind of um it's big and it's spectacular and it's kind of awesome so even if you're a little kid you'll get a kick out of it there's so many
0: layers to this work um, I had the pleasure of going around it in, in like your first first week or two of kind of really being aggressively open to the public mm-hmm. and I was struck initially by there's definitely there's a lot about in, in through the lens I was looking through about sort of like the artifacts of our culture how they're made what's left behind by it sort of the the strange juxtapositions of the, the the sort of hive we've made out of consumerism and there's there's so much of the pieces are um, you know just these almost like artifacts from the made world mm. repurposed into mm. into um, con, you know conceptual pieces but also but that that journey piece really kind of Flows through, like, yeah. Know,
2: each thing well, f- I mean, we, I mean, I designed the show five years ago, yeah, and that was after doing a number of similar shows uh, for, for, you know, for twenty years in in Hong Kong, where I'm where I'm from. Um, so five years ago, I designed the latest version of, of that it, that um, incorporated these themes that I've been exploring uh, for many, many years for my entire sort of artistic career. Uh, so this is a, a more sophisticated and refined, refined conversation. And uh, investigation, um, but you're right. You touched on these sort of post-industrial um, elements, you know, that are throughout the show. These, you know, objects that refer to consumerism, um, to uh, the border, the tension between the border and the borderless. Um, so you know, we have pitchforks, which are one of the most obvious objects in the exhibition. Three hundred pitchforks hanging from the ceiling, with this sort of symbol of peasantry. And the symbol of revolution, but also this symbol of the post-industrial world where pitchforks are no longer necessary, maybe as a as a tool or or as a weapon, <laughs> um, <laughs> because people don't fight for what they believe in so much anymore. Um, and so that's a that's a that's a crass statement, but I think maybe you understand my point. Oh no, I that, don't. you know we protest, yeah. but nothing changes. We protest all the time now, and the government ignores you. Well, but nobody actually gets their pitchforks and goes to the White House. Um, there's, you know, we're all so subdued, aren't we? And, um, but anyway, that's another conversation. So, um, <laughs> let me not get distracted distracting to <laughs> politics and, and, you know, it's hard. It's yeah. hard right now, though. It's like, well, it's hard, it, it, but, well look, look, you know, the cent- cent- central part of the exhibition you, uh, is my work as a painter. I designed the entire project, but the the body is the beginning, the body that's frustrated, thrashing around, and in the paintings and the exhibition, there are these bodies that look like they're fighting or they're being, they're thrashing around and they're disturbed. And that is the frustration I feel, and I think most people feel, of uh, that disconnect between the power and ourselves, that we're not represented, that the world hasn't become a lovely borderless um, um utopia, that actually we're we're entering into this austere dystopian normality. Yeah. And the borders are being reinforced. So I mentioned the tension between the border and the borderless. So the um the project has these objects that, that refer to civilization and growth um, and and um and, and consumerism. And there's an old an old Ferrari, my old car that's destroyed in the project. Uh, you know, sort of upcycled from being a a selfish luxury object to being film and sculpture and photography, you know, a shared uh, piece of work now rather than being my selfish toy. A sacrifice. A sacrifice, yeah. So a commitment. So you have Mm. all these elements, there's a plow and there are pieces of aeroplanes, all these sort of symbols of growth and and interconnectedness and and then division as well, the division of class. You know, he's got a Ferrari. I don't have a Ferrari. And um, so there are all these elements, crowns, you know, kings. There's all these little elements, strings. It's like breadcrumbs that you can kind of follow towards this conclusion or a question um, that the the project reflects. I mean, it's called the 14th factory. I mean, factory, such an archaic word. Yeah. Who works in a factory anymore, right? Yeah. Um, But we are this factory of art production you enter into. We try to create this this world, the 14th factory, that is interconnected, that you can wander through. As a factory, this building would have been uh, unavailable to the public, but now it's an art exhibition. You can come in freely. We've reduced the border there. And, you know, we've taken it away from an elite museum space and put it in this archaic building.
0: When right um, across the
2: street is the old Lincoln Heights jail. An old jail across the street. So... I mean, it is a complicated project and it's, um, there's a lot going on in here. It, it's, it's, it's our little world that we've created, this factory, this art production factory. But there's this, all this reflection in the project of the darkness, and the austerity, um, and the violence um, uh, of the world. So, you know, the pitchfork is such a violent symbol. The plough, so there's a huge plough hanging from the ceiling. Well, the phrase used to be, for swords to ploughshares. so in times of violence you melt your plough and you make a sword and when in times of peace you melt the sword you make a plough well our plough is hanging from the ceiling gold plated so you've taken this thing that has a history of violence and then peace and then violence and then peace and then you gold plate it makes mm. it completely useless. It's now a luxury <laughs> object. You know, is that what we've done with all yes. this this conflict for the centuries? That we've turned it into nice things for ourselves. Have oh. we, we pursued the individual too far now to the point where the community suffers? Well, we've created a little community here where anyone can come and hang out. And you know, if you're from a poor neighbourhood, you don't even have to pay to come in here. So you know, it's accessible to all. So, in a way, we're we're trying to present a a world that we would prefer, that's interconnected and diverse and accessible and meaningful to, the, the, to a kid as much as an intellectual. Um, what does is, what is working in installation form
0: give you as a tool to do that? To make it so that it's something that is accessible to a child and to an intellectual?
2: Well, the first thing is I didn't think of producing a show that would appeal to anyone. I have made the show that I wanted to make. Mm. I've been to many museums and galleries and seen some awesome things and seen some awful things, and sometimes felt connected, more often felt disconnected. I mean, I just make the art that I want to make, but I'm not thinking necessarily in terms of audience. What I've, what's been interesting about the show is... You know, I thought I was presenting a pretty heavy intellectual show, and, and working with a group of artists and creators that have collaborated with me—pretty serious people, extremely talented people in film, in architecture, and art, performance, and design. So, you know, we were—we've been involved in this for five years, not only developing it from the entrepreneurial side, finding a way to actually make it happen financially. Clearly, we have no sponsorship, no backing. We're not in a museum, so no one's paying for this. We're paying for it. So, and we're not rich. So that, that development on the entrepreneurial side is equivalent to the, uh, the development on the intellectual side. So there's been many conversations for many years about each element of the show, and it's been constantly refined, things added and taken away, conversations with professors and scientists and artists and all kinds of people so we have tried to improve the intellectual content flow, the curation. So a number of sort of curatorial advisors that have come into the show and uh, pre-opening over six months and and discuss the flow and how the pieces connect and should things be cut out or scaled up or scaled down or reduced or whatever so we've been so close to the project in, in an intellectual sense and a production sense when we finally opened the show what was amazing was or surprising or shocking well i don't know how you perceive it is that people take selfies of themselves throughout the exhibition yeah It's been this thing that's suddenly blown up, which in some ways has been an advantage because we had no money for any advertising. So when the show finally opened, the first few hundred people that came through just went, oh my God, this is amazing. Started Instagramming themselves, standing in different elements of the show. I actually hadn't really considered that possibility. Mm. I didn't realise... Of course, I mean, I've got Instagram. I'm aware that people take yeah. pictures of themselves, but normally it seems to be taking, taking pictures of themselves having dinner <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, or looking cool on the beach or whatever. So, but uh, yeah, but then I realised that we because we'd seen things like the rain room that was here at the Lackma, I think. Yeah. And at the Broad, there was Kasana's, the infinity room. mirrored room. Yeah. And those are selfie fest too. So I suddenly clicked very quickly. Oh, of course, because one room, that's this is very white, Clean clinical room that's copied from Stanley Kubrick's Two Thousand One: A Space Odyssey, um, and it's become the selfie hit. Oh yeah, of the month, right? Yeah. And it's like yeah, it's almost like required. I, I like think, if you want uh, yeah. a cool shot, you got to go there, or like yeah, it, and there's, there's a funny, line, but there's quite, a line
0: for the pitchfork. Yeah, too to, now. yeah.
2: Now <laughs> on the weekend, if you want to go in the Kubrick room, it's like an hour wait. Yeah, and it's like wow, I, I didn't see that coming. Funnily enough, I didn't see that coming. It was yeah. quite surprising. But in some ways. It's been very powerful because it's brought more audience in, yeah. which has brought more income to the project. We run as a nonprofit, um, but that income allows us to pay rent and keep the show open. Because there was a danger that we were actually going to be closed very quickly because oh, we yeah. ran out of money and we couldn't pay our costs. I remember that. And luckily, that, that week. people have yeah. come, and that's all from selfies. It's yeah. the social media word of mouth that's bought. So it, it, winds it's it, crazy. This,
0: it winds up being it winds up be this weird, like almost paradox, because here's this large-scale installation that is asking everyone or not asking inviting everyone through the artifacts to sort of confront the the mechanisms of of late capitalism and the means by which it 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 blooms the seeds that allows it to propagate is Mm. these social media pictures which are mostly derided as being the the absolute most narcissistic thing a human being can do is like selfie themselves and yet there's a little bit of that you know sowing the seeds of its own destruction thing going on like it's almost like you know Instagram I don't want to say it's marxism in action but it's it's kind of marxism in action in a strange way um and and it does get people in the doors and it does it does get people hopefully i'm hoping that they're really Present with the material yeah. when, when they're here, and not just. Yeah, I their turn. I, I, yeah. I can
2: see it's obvious that some people just come before the selfie. Yeah. And of course, my fear is: are you not getting what's going on in this project? You're not getting the gravity of some of the conversations that are going on in the work. Yeah. I worry that it's that, 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 that there's a danger there that you're just seen as the surface mm-hmm. of image. Yeah. And and it's not being read. But you know you can't you can take the horse to water but you can't make it drink so yeah. i think that's just you just have to accept that producing something on this scale that's got so much attention but yeah some people are just going to come and enjoy it on a very superficial level and that's perfectly fine yeah. you know i just came from the garden there's little kids running around in the garden they're just having a good time yeah now does that devalue the project from a, from a contemporary arts standpoint does that make me less of a contemporary art am i not as valuable as you know my painting's going to go down in price now because i've done something that is instagram yeah. uh, successful you know it's it's, it's interesting well, we'll see what happens you see but it's funny the art world you know is a bordered and structured environment that's oh, yeah. been, lasted for hundreds of years and, and there isn't level of sort of impenetrability Um, um, as an artist and as a a consumer sometimes uh, because it can be very elite and it can be very bordered and um, it's about you know auction house prices and art fairs and um, and big institutions so doing something outside of that and I'm not the only person I mean look at Christo I mean he's a a trailblazer right you know I'm not the only artist that's done something outside the institutional world but certainly for me I had no Door. I have no doorway into the contemporary art world, the formal art world. I have shown at very prominent galleries myself, but it's been very difficult for me. I've never had that invitation to show at a big institution. Maybe once in in my career, I got asked to show at the Museum of Contemporary Art in Tokyo, which is a great honour. Um, but actually, I, I, I thought that that call would come, that I would be discovered, that someone would say, "Why don't you come and do an exhibition here?" Or would you like to do a film or something? It never happened. So for me. I got to the point, you know, where I'm getting quite frustrated that I'm not able to show the art that I want to make. So I just built my own art museum. I just had enough. I had yeah. enough of waiting. Yeah. So I just said, oh, I'll build my, I'll find a massive space and I'll build the show that I want to see. And it's a very arrogant and obnoxious thing to do. Um, but you know, that's the choice that I've made well, and it's, and therefore it's open to interpretation. People lives maybe they'll write me off as an arrogant. Idiot, that's you know trying to show off, or that I'm just nuts, or that I'm whatever. What we'll see. You've
0: seeing. also managed here. I mean, you know, I'll, for for your own sanity's sake, I'll push back on, on on that. In that, you've built a platform here for others to, to work, and it's not just a monument to your own creativity. It's it is a collaboration. It's it's as much as the energy of of the vision and the determination of of a person to like. Push forward is required in in this world. You've also brought all those collaborators along, and the piece wouldn't be as mm. dynamic if it wasn't for everyone's efforts. And I think that's yeah. There's, there's so much. There's so much in this piece. Well, I agree. Of the, yeah. I mean, yes.
2: I mean, the truth is, the show wouldn't be any good if it wasn't for all the talented collaborators that have contributed to the process. And Star Wars wouldn't be any good without. You know um, John Williams and um, Harrison Ford and you know the, oh, yeah. you know and ILM and you know all these people that are involved in it. Blade I wasn't Runner the one that be made Blade the Blade Wars reference, guys. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I am be guilty of that. Well, so. you, know, I'm <laughs> quite a, you know, I'm quite a science fiction fan, so you know, uh, you know, Blade Runner is probably you know a very important film to me, and it, but uh, that Blade yeah. Runner would be, I without Van Gallis and Harrison Ford and oh. all the people involved, oh, no. in it, right? So we this show is similar, a similar construct. It's designed from the ground up as a brand new piece like a brand new movie with an enormous amount of very talented people involved in in the process and I'm very much like the director or or writer of that project and that's an unusual model in the art world too where it can often be about a brand name artist and Mm -hmm. his output Um, and um, you know Damien Hirst famously and Murakami and Jeff Koons they all have hundreds of people working for them producing the work under their direction, but those people aren't necessarily credited or recognised because it's the concept, the artist's vision that's important, not the hand that produced it. But for me, I'm slightly different. I'm very proud of the collaborators involved in the project. I feel they should get due recognition and their work, independent of this project, stands up as as, as extremely good work. Um, and that's what's, I suppose, interesting about the project is most people have n- not really heard of any of us involved in the project, but in our fields back in Asia, where we're from, you know, we're all respected and well-known in our in our different fields, so we are this little powerhouse you've never heard of, uh, but we know what we're doing, you know, I mean, we're not kids. So
0: why why come to the States? And I know there's some story here in terms of finding a home for this piece, but and maybe we'll get into that a bit, but... But why come to the U.S. at all with this, this piece?
2: We, oh God, that's complicated. Um,
0: I try to ask the easy questions and yeah, I fail
2: all the time. <laughs> I mean, it, it's it's certainly because i have done a number of projects in Asia, yeah. and I'd got to the point where I was, I felt saturated and I felt too, like you know that. that I wasn't getting that opportunity to do something overseas, and I thought, well, maybe I'll just create my own opportunity. Mm. And I actually came to Los Angeles first because I had friends here. I'm quite a keen surfer, and I've got some mates that surf here. And I'd oh, been, was I'd been, your, are those your surfboards? Yeah, exactly, okay, yeah. yeah, So I've been, been to L.A. dozens of times. And I don't know, there was... Um, there's a good vibe here and then um, we looked at a couple of spaces that didn't work out uh, then I went back to Asia and we found an amazing space but we needed Hong Kong government to support it to give us the space essentially for free mm. uh, and they, they wouldn't let it even, even, for a, even if we paid they wouldn't let us use the space mm. so then I was really pissed off I thought well I'm done with Hong Kong It's just stupid I mean I've been doing projects here for years and doing lots of non-profit work and charity work and I thought, God, this city just doesn't give a shit. You know, they should be, surely they should be championing me. But anyway, that's a selfish thing to say. I shouldn't be entitled, to you? You know, nobody owes me anything. But um, so there was some frustration. Then we ended up in New York. Um, I'd thought about London as well, uh, but space is difficult in London. Uh, New York, we accidentally found a very big space that was state-owned, uh, that was potentially free, and pursued that. We moved to New York and started to build a show. Mm. And then the state of New York kicked us out and just decided they didn't want us to do it after all. They thought it was too dangerous for whatever reasons. Um, You'd have to ask them, I suppose, what the real reasons were. But anyway, they they blocked us doing the show. That was after about a year of development. (sighs) Then we moved to another space and a privately owned old bank building, the ex-JP Morgan headquarters in Wall Street. I thought, wow, that's clever. Wall Street, you know, what a moment. Um, so that seemed to make sense, and we pursued that for a year. And then we ran into production delays, and the landlord wouldn't give us an extension on our lease, and we got kicked out. And the show had already been built off-site. And then, that was a year ago, completely bankrupt, basically, and like, oh, that's the end of my career. i am better go back to the day job. Uh, and then came to L.A. and uh, to see a buddy and and my my mate is in in film production and stuff, and he said, oh, I've got a location scout, why don't we just show you a bunch of spaces? And I knew, well, well, we should look at the spaces anyway, but I'm running out of money here, we're really not sure I'm in a position to actually build a show anymore. But we saw the spaces and then eventually found this old Chinese import-export company in Lincoln Heights. And it was the biggest space and the cheapest space. So then I went back to Hong Kong and begged some people to loan me some money and raised just enough to open the show. Mm. That was a year ago. We spent six months renovating the space, six months installing the work. And then we opened you know, four or five weeks ago and, uh, you know, it's suddenly caught fire. Thank God. Because, yeah, I mean, that was that was it for me. Um, but why America? I don't know. Because it, they let us in. Mm. They let us do it. Oh, man. That's. Everyone else stopped us. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's been a weird process over five years. You know, I'm, I've, you know, I've you know i used all my savings and then sold everything I owned, um, and then obviously I've borrowed money since then to keep the thing moving. So it's a t- hell of a commitment, um, and but I went to probably fifty sponsors, grants, foundations, trying to get money right yeah. um, from Gucci, IBM, Google. Deutsche Bank, UBS, Morgan Stanley, I mean, it's American Express. I mean, it's such a long list of people. I went begging for money and I couldn't get a dollar of support out of anyone. And I really was, I really thought, everyone had said, oh my God, this project's amazing. Let us know when it opens. We can't wait to see it. Nobody would take the risk. Yeah. But I'm, I guess, you know, well, I guess I'm more, uh, less risk averse you know the most be- i mean you know the world has become very conservative and risk averse you know that word risk comes up all the time now yeah but i'm sure it didn't come up, come up in world war 2 i mean it just <laughs> you know now you know everyone wants collateral and uh, a guarantee and nobody'll just say you know what fuck it let's just do this thing man
0: i've been thinking so much lately about insurance i mm. mean because there's the whole health insurance thing in here in the States right now that's going on. But it made me think about how you go back, you go back to the age of exploration and the thing that made, you know, the the colonization of America possible in the first place was insurance, insurance on the shipping. You know, the invention of insurance was the invention of the modern world uh, and the invention of modern, you know, tax. And like, if this feels like we've run into this, this end point here, where it's gone from being this was the thing that made it possible to do all this stuff, good and bad. Like, got acknowledged. It course. wasn't. It wasn't great for everybody. In fact, it was mostly not great for yeah, everybody. All
2: risks work out. Yeah, yeah.
0: And I, and there's the, the, and that whole idea of the balance sheet. But then at the end of the day, now we've gotten to this point where it just keep. It's just grown and grown and grown to where it, it went from the the little part that that ran the engine to being the thing that encompasses. Mm everything about our lives Mm. Um, and because the the insurance things influence the permitting things and the permitting things influence where you can pop up work where you can do things yeah well Um, we had
2: our permitting problems here because originally we were supposed to be an art exhibition running under a certain kind of special permits for temporary events uh, but the city of los angeles wouldn't give it to us Mm. Um, so, because um, there was a fire at a rave party in Oakland, so, sort of six months ago, and some uh, the tragically yeah. a lot of people I died. Remember it. Yeah. And, and then, the, so the city just banned all special events essentially for, for now. Um, and you would think that that would take a couple of months to think about that and work it out and then reissue. But no, it's, it's still ongoing. The ban is ongoing. So when we opened the show, you know, we had to delay the show some months, waiting for this this ban to be lifted. They never mm-hmm. lifted it. Mm. So then we're, we're, you know, we're running out of money. We've got to open. If we don't open, we can't generate money. We're bankrupt. Um, So luckily our production guy, Justin Dina has this great company called Drive Productions. Uh, He said, you know what? He said, I noticed you guys are always filming. What are you filming? I said, well, we're filming a documentary about, you know, the potential collapse of this project. And he said, well, if you're filming, you're making a documentary why can't the whole show just be a documentary about an art exhibition? Because then I can get you a film permit. I so, said, well, can people come in on a film permit? Yeah, if, they're, if they don't mind being in the film, you can let people into the show. So now we're, we are officially uh, a film permitted uh, documentary about an art exhibition that can't be an art exhibition because the city won't allow it. So it's an amazing thing. But we work very closely under the parameters of that permit. We don't... We don't mess with the city, right? So we respect the parameters. So you, you can't have too many people in here at once and everybody has to sign a waiver. They don't mind being in the film. Um, and it works very well. And actually, yeah, the, the mayor of LA came through yesterday <laughs> and, and Instagrammed it, he, yeah. loved, he loved the show.
0: I think, I think what I get from the vibe whenever I talk to the people in like the DCA, for those outside LA, that's the Department of Cultural Affairs, or and everyone in the in the art world here and, and in our immersive theater world, you know, the, the, particularly that that moment of the ghost ship fire, um, which if, if those of you who are new to the show, you can go back and like listen to the episodes we did right around there, and like it, it hit us like a gut punch. It was also coming. It was in November, and so like a lot of things flipped in November uh, that that really set the tone for the battles ahead, and there were, you know, you know, I, I lost. I didn't lose anyone directly, but three of my friend groups lost people, um, some some who were really tight with folks. And and it was mind-blowing to me that three totally separate parts of my world could be impacted by one incident. Mm. And, you know, but for the roll of the dice, one of my dear friends might have been there that mm. night, might have yeah. gotten out, might have not, because that's the nature of, of the Bay Area scene, and that Bay is where I'm from. And... And and watching just the wave that it's done, it's it's knocked out a lot of DIY spaces here. Um, there's this whole thing that artists throughout California have long done, which is you know lived in these live work spaces, mm-hmm. kind of on the hustle because they can't afford the rent. Yeah. And this LA, which if it if it wants to be wants to be, it, LA needs art the way m- other cities need agriculture mm. because the industry is here and it just consumes artists and artisans like you wouldn't believe uh, I can't believe I just said that I just this, anyway no but i um, mean look, yeah.
2: la is la is obviously an incredibly creative place in music right. and film and and uh, all forms of um, culture um, you know but contemporary art um you know without doubt is the is the sort of sharp tip of the sword of, mm-hmm. of creativity. Creativity yeah. is the ultimate resource, the ultimate human resource is creativity. Contemporary art is the thing that says things and does things that other forms of culture can't do. And it's also obviously obviously, very, can be very abstract and very provocative and, and therapeutic, and it does all these things that other um, things in life can't. I mean, it's socially enriching. It's kind of like nature in that way. You know, it's this abstract thing that you can't live without. And art is it. You know, it reflects us and it comforts us and it scares us. And, um, you know, it's such a powerful force. So it should be encouraged and yeah. supported. It puts um, it in a physical form the things that we can't put into words. Yeah. You that know. can creative thinking, abstract thinking is what leads to rocket ships and, you know, and uh, solar panels. I mean, oh, yeah. So, you know, contemporary art should be uh, encouraged and should flourish and but you know la does very well i mean the lacma is just such a brilliant institution and, and the broad this new glossy luxury museum is kind of cool in a way i mean yeah. it's very elite but it's yeah. but it's an awesome building and you know it's very well attended I And mean, you know it's, it's a very it's great food for people you know intellectually and yeah. um, you know therapeutically yeah
0: you guys are have been in, inviting some folks to come in and, and use the factory as a, a platform for performance. In that well, right? we
2: tried. What we were what we when we started, we had this very sort of you know hippie mentality that anyone could come here and do anything, do a performance, right. make some art, run around naked, do whatever <laughs> they have a party, do whatever you want. But unfortunately, under the terms of our permit, we're very restricted in what we can and can't do here, which mm. is really frustrating because we wanted to sort of lectures and, and, and parties and all kinds of things but unfortunately there's a limit to what we can do under the permit so it's a little bit frustrating but you know it is what it is. Yeah. More but we wanted it to be very interactive. The artists would come here and do stuff. Unfortunately, you get a lot of crazies come along with that. So yeah. it's, you know, you've got to, you, there is some filter, and obviously, then it pisses some people off. They think, "Why, well, why couldn't I spray the wall with a unicorn?" Like, because it's rubbish. <laughs> We're gonna let you do it. <laughs> So nothing wrong with unicorns. Um, yeah. If any unicorns are listening, I yeah. apologize. Well, they've been, they've been um, collected by point, Starbucks yeah. now. So, but anyway, yeah. yeah, there was a hope that it would become this interactive space. We're trying here yeah. and there to do some stuff. We've had a couple of performance artists come in and do some stuff. Um, but, yeah, we wanted to do kind of big events and stuff, but unfortunately it's not possible within our permit, so yeah. we, we do what we can.
0: But you're but you're holding the space open for like pretty much like as long as you can keep it going? Yeah, the plan right as long as the
2: landlord lets us, to be honest. I mean, yeah. The value of the property has gone up dramatically since we've inhabited the space, not surprisingly. Mm -hmm. Um, The old paradise. But but so therefore the landlord's trying to flip it Mm. and take advantage of that. And when and if that happens, I guess, um, you know, he will either kick us out or the new landlord will either let us stay on or not. So we don't really know how long we'll be here, Mm. Um, um, but we're definitely open for the next couple of months. And then we'll take it from there. And then the hope is, you see, it's never meant to be a permanent project anyway. Right. The hope is that while we're here, we, we've proved this concept to a grand audience of the West. You know, as I said, you know, nobody really knows who I am. But um, hopefully this does bring people that are interested in myself and our collaborators and what we're doing. And maybe that'll raise some support for us to do this again somewhere else in the world. You know, we'd like to pack it up and move it to New York or London or Berlin or Shanghai or Columbia or wherever, you know. Um, so we'll, we'll see what happens if, if we attract people that understand, the, you know, the, 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 the work and the innovation and necessary. And the truth is we did the best that we could in this project with our very limited resources. But the show it should be makes this look like amateur hour. I mean, this is just the best I could do with that money. But the show I envisage is way beyond this. Yeah. But that's I'll need another few million dollars to do that, which I certainly don't have anymore.
0: Well, if if this is what you're able to do under the strictures of availableism, uh, I almost worry what if <laughs> you had unlimited resources that fall into like a Star Wars prequels situation <laughs> where you've got like
2: yeah. All the digital
0: tools you want, but, but, the, what but the George instincts.
2: Lucas did before Star Wars. Did he do Dark Star?
0: No, no, he did. Uh, he did THX 1138. THX, on, yeah. and that was a brilliant film. It was. It's gorgeous. It's my but, favorite but piece of his work. But equally, you
2: could see, you know, there's not a lot of money involved in that. Not it's at really all. Really
0: brilliantly done. They shot. They shot mm. a big sequence in like the unfinished Bart tunnels That's in San Francisco. Right, yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah. So there you go. We're THX 1138, and, and come, Star Wars is coming. Going. <laughs> That's a great place to stop. (laughs) Simon, thank you. Thank you.
0: Once again, want to thank Simon Birch for being our headliner guest on the show today. You can start your trailhead into the 14th Factory at the14thfactory.com. It is totally worth it. I, I, I have been in a couple of times now. I know a, a lucky jerk uh, to get to play around there. And there are installations in there that just take you away. And that's what we look for in immersive. And we are so lucky in Los Angeles to have the 14th factory here on our shores, on our riverbanks, well, literally on our riverbank. Well, across the street, there's an old jail in the way. Um, interesting uh, be one of the people who was there. Just, just saying that, just saying that again, 14thfactory.com. And I hope Simon's dreams of carrying this out in even grander scale are fulfilled. I'd love to see that happen. Now, here we are at the end of the show, but the end of the show isn't really the end of the show anymore. It's changed. Why? Because I said so. Welcome to Noah's corner. We'll change that name next time. Don't worry. Uh, Why'd you give yourself a corner in your own show noah no you know ego issues oh like you had a really big one no quite the opposite um last night was the kickoff party you heard it right at the beginning uh right at the beginning eva was there uh she was talking to us from the kickoff party at the hollywood fringe uh it's preview night fringe is starting uh the 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 first official day of fringe is next week immersive is at the fringe going strong um the category the category isn't even i shouldn't do this this part i shouldn't do but this is noah's corner so i get to be a a little a a little more me and a little less the voice of everything immersive um which is so pretentious but i love it um (laughs) um the um the we're not the smallest category. All right. This is our first year having a category dedicated to immersive in the Hollywood fringe catalog. The Hollywood fringe is the largest performing arts festival West of the Mississippi. And unless, unless Ben lies to me all the time, but he's not, I know he's not. It's just so big and we're, we're not the smallest category. It's our first year and, and we're not the smallest. I'm, ecstatic about that. We were sitting around counting because the the catalog's out. Anyway, the kickoff party last night saw so many friendly faces, so many familiar faces, so many new faces as the fringe world and Ellie's immersive world kind of collide at top speed. And there's already all these incredible reactions. A bunch of people have gotten a chance to preview Red Flags. We'll have our official review of it up. That's the new work from Capital W. It is really blowing minds. Uh, Watch that show. They're gonna get an extension. Of course, Apartment 8's there. Of course, the Kansas collection is there. There's new work from Shine On. I just I, I can't wait to dig my teeth into the fringe and the best part is is we're only getting started. We're only getting started all over the place. Last week with the 100th episode, I said this was that was the alpha. Well, this is the beta Welcome to the beta. Welcome to 101. Welcome to the changes. Welcome to the maturation of NoProcinium and the quest to catalog everything immersive. NoPro.com. We switched it over. No longer is it that static site. Uh, it's now uh, NoProcinium.com. Is now got. Um, it's it's the medium. It's the old Medium collection. You won't hear me say medium.com slash no-persinium anymore because they don't have to. I just say no and you're there. We started the Newswire because there's so much going on that we needed one. We've got more people coming on in more places to help us get more news to you, more reviews, a grander, greater sense of all things immersive. And if you are as obsessive as I am, and I know some of you are, And I know some of you know how much I despise Facebook as a creature because of how entwined with our lives it is. But I will admit I fully regret not starting something like Everything Immersive about a year ago because the explosive growth we've seen and the way it's connecting people is beautiful. So if Facebook is a thing that you tolerate in your life, and I get it if you don't, Go to everythingimmersive.com that leads you back to Facebook and join the group. It is the best place and the best way to stay connected to this growing universe of all things immersive. It's right there in the name. That's the biggest plug I have. Um, We do need your help on the Patreon. We do want you connecting with us at Twitter, all that stuff. I'll do the credits in a second but I just really want to testify to the strength and the breadth and the depth of the community. All of you are what make this possible. I know I say that all the time. I beat it. I flog it. It's, it's practically dead now, but it's really true. And I am so thankful for it. Um, there's so much more to come, uh, from this world next week on the show. Um, next week on the show, I think I'm going to pick the episode of the Landon, um, a Landon of the overlook festival. Uh, and it was a great conversation and in many ways, uh, too short, there'll be a new segment debuting next week. I'm not going to tell you what it is because it's not in the can yet. And I don't want to lie to you. And there'll be even more surprises as we go because this is just the start of the evolution of No Persinium into what it is meant to be. And what it's meant to be is freaking awesome. The music for this episode is by the amazing Chris Porter. And yes, that's a brand new theme song you heard. I didn't even make a big deal of it. Yeah, we got a brand new theme song. It's based on the old one. Why? Because that's that's what I wanted it to be. Uh, so, Chris, once again, thank you for the new music. You can connect with No Persinium at nopersinium.com. That's where you find all the links to do what you need to do, including signing up for our newsletters, which cover Los Angeles, San Francisco, New York, Chicago in the Midwest, and the Southeast United States. And there will be more soon. Oh, there will be more soon. And of course, last but not least, we do ask that you head over to our Patreon, patreon.com slash no proscenium. A dollar a month makes a huge difference. Five dollars and more a month makes a massive difference in terms of what we are able to do for you. And I'm serious, we do need the support. As always, if Twitter is your thing, at no And then, uh, if you, for some reason need, uh, want need, no one needs more me in their life at Noah J. Nelson is how to find the most unvarnished version of who I am. Um, I hope you like star Wars (laughs) and Batman. All right. On that note, I'm going to wrap this up. I, I got a wonder woman, uh, screening to go to, uh, because yeah, that's, that's how I roll. I hope you all have a most excellent week. I hope to see so many of you at Fringe. Until next time, I'll see you at the show.